Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, I love history, but I didn't used to like history. When I was in school, high school in particular, history was incredibly boring. Uh, these were back before the days of YouTube uh, and uh, documentary channels on Netflix and, and all of those kinds of you know, interesting things that people put together now. It was just really boring. It was a guy standing up there rattling off a bunch of names and dates of dynasties and, and empires. And in memorization, it just isn't my thing. And so I found history class <laughs> incredibly boring. I hated it. And now that I'm out and, uh, you know, watching documentaries and, and reading and, and, of course, you know, what, what I do for a living as a pastor, you, you kind of, it's, it's good to delve back into history. And now I find it's like, wow, why didn't I see that back then? I would have taken a lot more interest in it had I known what an exciting thing it is, history. And history, somebody said once, is his story. It really is about God. It's about what God's done on the earth. And, and history is just incredible. It, it's something. And uh, two of the, the best cities, my favorite cities when it comes to history or antiquities that I've ever visited uh, would be Rome and Jerusalem. Egypt, too, I think is pretty cool. Uh, but one of the things that if you go to those cities, and, and perhaps you've been to both of those, I, I don't know. I never really wanted to go to Jerusalem. I just didn't want to go, but it was kind of on the way to somewhere else. So it was like, Gail and I, let's just go there, check it out. And uh, it was like, wow, I can't wait to come back to that. That's such a, a cool place. But one of the things that, uh, that they do in cities of antiquity is they do a lot of digs. They do a lot of archaeological digs, and they go down to uh, layers, you, you know, beneath the city kind of stuff. The city that's on top isn't the city that used to be on top. And then they dig down, and then that city isn't the city that was on top. There's a city underneath the city. Underneath the city, it's kind of like Inception, the movie. It's just like this thing just goes on and on, you know, and uh, it's confusing. Uh, but I remember being in Rome just standing there looking down into uh, the, the dig, and there's the original, you know, kind of, roads and everything that were there during Jesus's time. And same thing in Jerusalem. You walk around, you go, they dug that up. And that's like 2,000 years ago. And that's where Jesus walked. Like, that is so cool looking at that. And, and there's just layers and things. But one of the things that really struck me uh, about both of those cities in particular is that the layers where people sacrificed, and I'm talking like church and Christians, 2,000 years ago, the Appian Way in Rome and, and the Colosseum and all of that, our brothers and sisters gave their lives. They, they, they shed blood. They, they laid down their life on that layer. And then on top of that layer, on top of the layer and the layer, is this opulence, this gaudy religious garbage and these people in their robes making a living out of showing off the sacrifice that somebody else made. And that really hit me, like... There's something about the church in particular where we, we, we move from sacrificial giving and sacrificial serving to demanding to be served and to be given to. It's almost like we get this entitlement when it comes to church life. As soon as the building's up, the air conditioning, everything's paid for, everybody kind of like, oh, this is good now. It's all about me now. And I hope that our church never, ever ends up there. 
I hope that our city and I hope that our movement, I hope that Christianity in this country, I hope that it keeps its edge. I hope that it continues to sacrifice because sacrifice is the essence of it. It's, it's what it's about, really. If you're, not, if you're not moving on the journey, if, you're not, if you don't have sweat in the game, you're not in the game. You know, if you're out there and you're just kind of like, oh, this is cool, then you're not taking that game seriously. And anybody knows if they're watching a grand final or, like, the big game tomorrow, which is going to be cool, go Chiefs. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, if, you're not, if you're not shedding blood in the game and if you're not sweating and you're not dog-tired, you really haven't been playing the game. You're on the sidelines. And, you know, hoisting a, a drink from the, the lounge room chair is just not the same thing as being on the field. And when you're too old to be on the field, you wish that you had more fun on the field when you had your day on the field. Anybody over 60 know what I'm talking about, over 20? Uh, you know, there's nothing like being in the game. And there's nothing like being part of a church where there's sacrifice and movement and something's going on. I don't want to build opulence on top of somebody else's sacrifice. I want to be the one that was laying it down and lay it down until my last breath. How about you? Yeah. Isn't that exciting? That's what we get to do here. And, and uh, when it comes to church life, and that's what we're talking, we're talking church tonight, I believe that the, the real goal, the real uh, the real essence of what we do is in the journey. It's not so much on accomplishments or, or the end game. You know, where are we going? Where are we going to end up? It's, that's not really what it's about. The more that I've been a Christian, I've been uh, looking at church life now for the better part of my life. Uh, started, you know, somewhere in my 20s and, you know, now in my 60s. It's like I'm still trying to figure this out. But, but a few things that I have figured out is that the journey is the value. The journey is what it's really about. Yeah. It's not some destination or get a bigger building or bigger position or, uh, you know, bigger accomplishments or achievements. Achievements and accomplishments are fantastic, but the biggest achievement, honestly, is that you follow Jesus Christ and that you're conformed into his image. That's the goal. That's, that's the big achievement out of your whole life is to be found in him and to be like him. And, and, and the accomplishments that you could ever achieve, the biggest one, I believe, is that your family goes with you, that your kids actually end up serving Jesus, and they, they love the church. They don't hate the church because, you know, you've, you've spoken the wrong things out. You've had a bad attitude on the journey, but they fall in love with Jesus and, and fall in love with his church, and they're on the journey, and they're, they're walking with the family, the rest, the whole family walking together and, and fit together. That's, that's the achievement part of it, but the essence is in the journey. Now, I'm Mr. Metaphor, and, and you guys know that. I don't know. I like Forrest Gump because, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You know, he just loved metaphors. But uh, the king of metaphor, honestly, is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus used metaphors. The bride, the body, the rock of offense, the rock of ages, uh, that rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. You know, metaphors are just part of, uh, of life. There's such a great way to give a picture to explain something. And so tonight, uh, if you've been on the journey with me, with any kind of close proximity, you will know most of my metaphors by now. You could probably quote them better than me, and if I say the metaphor wrong, you'll go, that's not it, Pastor Ed. You, you, you didn't say it right. And uh, so most of you on the journey would know the metaphors that, uh, that I'll give tonight. But for the sake of everybody, uh, I want to give us some metaphors. But I want to start off with Matthew chapter 16. 
in, uh, in verse 13 to 18. This is like such a foundational scripture. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's got to be right up there with foundation scriptures in the New Testament. And, uh, and this one here is the revelation of revelations that Jesus is going to ask Peter. And it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And you know, they're still asking that question today. You know, he's a prophet, or he was just a man, but he did great things historically, or he's a myth, or he's a legend, or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Who, who do men say, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? This is where it comes down to. When it comes to church and formulating a, an opinion on the church and your, your whole uh, attitude towards church life, because we're talking church tonight. When it comes to that, what about you? Because it's easy to talk about them or they and what other people are talking about the church, you know, the secular crowd or the media or, or the government's take on it. But, but what about you? Have you ever asked that question to somebody that, you know, they kind of bring up a controversial subject and, and you start defending your position on it before you finally realize they've only asked you that question because they don't agree, but you never ask them, well, what do you think? What's your opinion on it? And, and, uh, and, and here Jesus, he nails it. He says, uh, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I think that is such a great question. In fact, I'm reading a book. I've read the book, sorry, but uh, uh, called Start With Why. Highly recommend it. Most people go through life and they know what they do. Some know how they do what they do, but they don't know why they do what they do. And it's a sad thing to end up really old and regret that you did what you did because you didn't know why you did it. It's a really sad thing to wake up one day and go, Wow, I didn't enjoy my job. I didn't enjoy where I lived. I didn't enjoy what I do. I, didn't, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything like all those years for nothing. It's really important to know the why behind everything. And, and, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You got the right answer, man. That is so spot on, like amazing stuff. And then he goes on. He's going to use the metaphor here. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. He went from Simon, which means a reed flopping around, blowing in the wind, to Peter, which means a rock. And you are now Petros, you are a rock, and on that rock, this rock of revelation of who I am, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. You know, talking to some people, you think we're on the losing side. You would think that this thing is going to end with a big cataclysm, and we're all a bunch of losers. My Bible doesn't say that. The, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. We are the winner. We can't lose because it's already been prophesied. It's already been written. The Messiah has spoken. It's not going to end with a mess. It's going to end with a Messiah. I mean, that's pretty good. 
I get excited when I think about end times because the end of the age, the Bible says, is the harvest, if you read your Bible. It says the end of the age is the harvest. That's pretty cool because there hasn't been a world harvest yet. Therefore, it's not the end because when the end comes, there's going to be a giant harvest. You'll know when it's the end, believe me, because millions of souls will be bowing their knee and coming to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying bad things aren't going to happen before that because they are, but I'm not messed up with that because the church prevails. We're on the winning side. The gates of hell don't prevail. The church prevails. And so he says this, you know me, and you know that, uh, you know, that what I'm on about, Peter, you've, you've, you've got that from God. Now let's go and build something. I love the fact that Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church. There's another book I'm, I've been reading. It's called uh, the, uh, what's it called? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, it was a pastor that was a, a pastor of a mega church. His church grew. The guy's 30 years old. was 30 years old. His church grew by 1,000 people a year for six years. And then he decided, I don't, I don't even, I've lost my soul. He, he was going through these motions and, you know, getting invited to preach at all the big conferences, writing books and, you know, on the circuit and doing all this stuff. But he said, I was a hollow shell on the inside. Yet, because of charisma or whatever it was, crowds were showing up. Thousand people a year growth for six years. That's pretty cool. He was a mega church pastor at a very young age, and he realized that he was in a hurry to go nowhere and that his soul was empty. You know, what a terrible thing to come to. Uh, a, a revelation or realization after so many years of being a Christian and going to church and everything else and realizing I, I'm empty. I would hate for that to be the to be your legacy or my legacy. I, I would never, ever put those kind of accomplishments as the pinnacle above knowing Jesus Christ and having that relationship. So he asked somebody else that was very wise, uh, how, you know, how do I turn this thing? What, what, what do I have to do? And the guy said, you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. I'm not in a hurry to go nowhere. I'm not in a hurry to just accomplish a bunch of stuff. If it, if it doesn't come with knowing Jesus Christ, he said, I will build my church. So if he says, hand me a brick, I'm handing him a brick. If he doesn't say, hand me a brick, I'm not handing him a brick. Unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in vain. No matter how big it is, you can build whatever you want. But you can build a tower to reach up to heaven. They did that. They spoke one language, but it wasn't the language of God. It wasn't God's house that they were building, and they labored in vain. I think sometimes we're in such a hurry. We lead such a busy life that we're, we're, we don't slow down and, and, and sniff the roses and, and get to know God and humble ourselves and pray. We're so busy worried about accomplishments. I'm talking church. I don't want this church to be in such a hurry that the people that are on the journey don't even know God. Wow. And some of our KPIs in the church world, uh, they really aren't really, a know they're, not know they're not about knowing God. And, and uh, buildings, attendances, and money in the bank and all of that, that's, that's all fine if you know God. Because there's a church called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in America that's got a big building. The Mormons have a massive building. They've got a huge bank account. They've got all kinds of stuff going on, but they don't know the God that we know. 
And I, I would say, you know, all that stuff is fantastic, but let's just, let's just focus on the main event, and that's following Jesus Christ, getting to know him, that you might know him. And, and, and that's, the, that's the, the essence of it. And so uh, Jesus used all these metaphors. I'm going to give you just a few that I use commonly to describe what the church is and kind of uh, also what the church is. The first one is uh, the church is a restaurant. We used that this morning. That was a real revelation to me when I did not want to come back to the Sunshine Coast and continue pastoring during one of my trips to Wagga Wagga uh, many, many years ago. I thought to myself, you know, I'm just tired of pushing this elephant up a hill because another metaphor that I'll give you is herding cats. And that's basically what it is. I, I thought, what have I got myself into? This is like herding a bunch of cats. They're just going, yeah, they're going everywhere, you know. And the only time they come purring around is when they want something. It's like, what do you want now? Because you don't normally do this. So it's not like dogs are very predictable. Dogs are man's best friend. Uh, cats, whole nother story. And, and it was just wearing me out. Like, where are these cats going? Like, I can't get the cats in a herd to go in one direction to accomplish anything. I can't get anybody to put chairs out on a Sunday morning, do the sound, the worship. You know, these cats just won't do anything. And, and so this church is going nowhere. And I was wore out. I was miserable. And, uh, and yet God called me, and I didn't want to quit because God called me. I'm like, I'm not going to quit until you tell me. But, man, so I'm sitting at this restaurant in Wagga Wagga, and, and God says, what do you see? And I said, oh, there's a restaurant over there. What do you see down the street? Another restaurant. Wagga, it's got a great uh, long street in the middle of town with a lot of coffee shops and restaurants. really not that bad when it comes to that kind of thing. And, and he says that most of what these cats are fussing about is taste. It's just taste. It's tasting music. I agree with you. Meow, 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 it's too loud. It's just like, it's just taste for goodness sakes. How loud should it be? The Bible doesn't say. <laughs> His, the only music the Bible says isn't good music is country western. <laughs> Am I right? Come on. <laughs> and the microphone didn't get cut off this time. So far, so good. <laughs> uh, uh, only joking. <laughs> but, you know, uh, is rock and roll wrong? Or is, uh, is that of the devil? Is contemporary Christian of the devil? Is, you know, uh, opera of the devil? Yeah. Uh, is, you know, what the heck is of the devil? <laughs> it's taste. So get over it. Like, seriously. And if you don't like one restaurant, just move, move on. And, 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 and I say this with no sarcasm at all, and I get in trouble for it because Gail's like, we got new people, you just told them all to leave. And I said, that's from this morning. I said, no, I didn't tell them to leave. I just said, find a church, make sure you know it's your church home. I, I'm, a, I'm gracious enough to not want somebody to make a mistake and stay here if they don't want to be here. I mean, if somebody comes to my house and visits and they don't like my living room and they don't like my wife's cooking and they think, you know, the decor is terrible or whatever, whatever, and she's, she's a great cook, so, you know, but if they don't, if they don't like it, how, you're going to invite them back? Well, come back again next week, you know, so you can tell me what else is wrong with my house and my family. Like, come on. Like, nobody wants that. I'd be saying, well, you know what? Uh, you won't get invited back here, uh, 
but maybe you'll find some other family where you can fit in. And, and that's just the way it is with church life. Who wants somebody miserable in their house? And this is our house. And, and, and I don't want, you know, a bunch of sour pusses walking around. There's no point in it because there's, there's a whole bunch of restaurants out there. They're cooking up every kind of food. And so, you know, that's what I just encourage people. So the church is like a restaurant. Another one is the church uh, is like a ship. And uh, it's like a fishing boat. The trouble is, is once people are in, they, they, they think it's a cruise ship. They think it's all about them. If you've ever been on a cruise, you know what I'm talking about. You get on that ship, it is all about you. That's why you do the cruise. It's not out there fishing. It's, it's, it's dining. It's entertainment. It's like shore excursions and people complaining and a bunch of spoiled brats whinging about all, all of it. And, and when the church turns from a fishing vessel into a cruise ship, we're in trouble. We've lost our mission. The church is a ship, but it's a, supposed to catch fish. And uh, number four, I think in my metaphors, uh, is the church is a hospital. This one explained a lot to me when I got it, because I frequently would hear people say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. It's full of liars and cheaters and, you know, a whole list of things. And, until it dawned on me, where did all those lying, cheating hypocrites come from? They came from society. They were made that way out there. Somebody messed with them. They messed them up as a child. They messed them up in the school system. They messed them up and messed them up and messed them up. And then the people end up in the hospital called the church to get fixed up. We're busy fixing up what the world messed up. And then we get blamed for the problem. We get blamed for messing them up. Don't go to the hospital and complain it's full of sick people. They'll lock you up in a special part of the hospital because you deserve to be there. And people that come into a church and, and, and level their big pointy finger about, against church people because we're so messed up, they don't understand that it's a hospital. We're trying to fix these people up, for goodness sakes. Who else is going to do it? So the church is a hospital. It's the only hospital where the doctors and the nurses and everybody else are patients. We're all just as messed up as everybody else, and yet we got to get up off our bed and help somebody else. Figure that one out. It's a hospital. Then my fifth one is a church as a family. There are, there are others, and we could go on, but I'm just going to give you five. A church is a family. Do you ever have a squabble with a family member? Maybe, just maybe. Are there some family members that you get on better with than other family members? Just maybe. Are there some family members that will call you more frequently and others that never give you a call? Do you get your feelings hurt sometimes because, because of family? Well, the church is a family, so get over it, all right? Get used to it. We're a family. We're not a bunch of congruous, congruent people that are, you know, robotically going to get along together, somehow magic wand over everybody. We're, we're so different, most of us. We're not like the Surf Lifesaving Club where we all like to surf. We're not the rugby club where we all love to play rugby. We're a bunch of misfits that don't have anything in common except we love God, basically, you know, and try to get us all together. And we're cats on top of that, try to hurt us all. It ain't going to work. I love uh, Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. It says this, For this reason, Paul said, I bow, 
I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Uh, you know, you've heard it said before, but when we get to heaven, I don't think there's going to be the American section over here, the Fijians over here, the Koreans over here, the Africans. You know, we're all going to, we're one big family. Here, though, we're made up of many families. And, and it's very, very important that we walk across rooms, that we acknowledge the, the cultural differences and, and think culturally Christian, th think culturally kingdom of God. And, and whatever the culture is, if it doesn't line up with the kingdom of God, it's got to bow its knee. It's just the way that it goes. And uh, so we're, we're, we're many, many families here on earth, but we're still one big family called the kingdom of God, the family of God. Now, some of our thinking, I believe, as we're talking church, sometimes I hear this, and it's easy to slip into this, but, but it's a real trap. And that is to think of ourselves as just church attenders. And is the church being, well, a Sunday meeting like this one? Instead of, I am the church everywhere I go, I'm part of the body of Christ, a metaphor that, that Jesus purposely introduced so that we could get it, that we're supposed to be hands and feet and, and you know, out there in the community helping people. Uh, and, yes, we do attend worship services. We do sit under the Word of God, and we do get inspired, and we, we do, uh, you know, get opportunities to work together, worship together, and have coffee and, and break bread together. Isn't that good? But, uh, but, but, but we're not attenders. The church isn't just about attending some event. This is not like the Super Bowl or, 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 or some sporting event. You know, we're going to judge the, the worship team out of 10, you know, 10 being the highest. Oh, yeah, give, I'll give them about a 7 today. The worship was maybe it was about a 7. You know, oh, the preacher, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll give him a 3 today. He was really, you know, kind of not so, so enthusiastic as usually offended a lot of people as usual, you know. So we'll just give him a 3 today, you know. Independence is not a fruit of the Spirit. And so when you're an attender, you're, you're kind of operating in the wrong spirit. Whereas Jesus says we're a body, we're a bride. We're, we're like a building fit together, every brick fit together. And interdependent is a word, but independence is not a word. And so independence leads us to attendance. It makes us think that we're just an attending something, that we can just judge the attending thing that we're at the event, whatever it was, and, and we're going to come back. If, it, you know, if the event's good enough and, and the speaker's funny enough or there's a celebrity coming, well, I'll, I'll be there, but otherwise, you know, you've got to entice me to get me along to this thing. And, and that's just the wrong attitude. That is not the church. Do you understand? That's something else. And if we're going to be on the journey, we need to understand these things. In Ephesians 6, uh, 3, verses 6 and verse 10, uh, we'll just do verse 6 here. It says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs. And I want you to make a note of this because this is a very big word in church life. They are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and, sh and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Together, together, together. We must work and walk to, and get along 
together. This is not about me. This is about us. It's not my church only. It's our church. It's what we are called to do, not just me called to do. It's together that we do this, or really, we're not going to do it at all. That's a huge one, because for us to walk together in our value statement, uh, which shapes the cultural value on this one, is that we walk together even when it hurts. And oh, does it hurt sometimes. If you haven't been hurt, you haven't really been in church very long. And if you haven't been hurt and you haven't been in church very long, uh, I'll prophesy over you right now. Get ready, get ready, get ready, as T.D. Jakes says, because you are going to get hurt. Just stick around long enough. In this restaurant or the one down the street, you're going to get your toes stepped on. Somebody's going to say something. An attitude's going to crop up. You're going to get you, you're going to get your feelings hurt no matter where you go. But you walk together even when it hurts. And you get over it. And when you get over it, guess what? To get over it, you've got to grow. And that's the real goal. Remember, it's the journey. It's not some accomplishment. There's no destination out there. I mean, you go to heaven when you die, but short of heaven, it's all about the journey and what God is shaping. You're the, he's the potter. You're the pot. You're the clay on the wheel. He's going to do his stuff. And part of that stuff is letting you get offended. So get over it. Learn to forgive. Learn to walk together with people that don't even agree with you. They're going to say something that's going to shake you or offend you, and, and you get over it. We walk together, together, together. So four things that will help us walk together, and then I'd like the uh, worship team to come back up. Uh, these are just some things that can help us walk together. Number one, a family that prays together stays together. I just really invite you to come to dinner parties, and, and I, I believe most of you do, and show up at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. You know, get out of bed. It's not that early, believe me. We pray down here before the service. Everybody gets to pray. Uh, you know, that's such an exciting time, and the group that does pray, they start to, there's kind of a bonding that goes on uh, as we hear each other's hearts, we share prayers, we get into agreement. It's not how eloquent you are when you speak. It really is just sharing your heart and us hearing your heart and getting into agreement, knowing that God is listening, and, and, and we start to walk together as a family. Number two, number two is think serve before self. Think, how can I serve you, not how can you in this church serve me? So whenever I show up to something, I'm thinking now, what's going to bless these people? Because it is more blessed, not less and not equal. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive, which means if I show up to an all-in or a dinner party, I'm not going to show up there with the, the whole thought is, oh, I hope the food's really good. <laughs> you know, in I go, diving in. You know, everything's about me, me, me. That is not Christianity, dear hearts. That's something else called selfishness. Think serve before self. Somebody that's new, go up and talk to them for goodness sakes. They're not going to bite if somebody, uh, it, it breaks my heart if people come in to our church and, and they kind of walk around, they don't make a friend, nobody talks to them, and, and they try to navigate, you know, all these strangers and, 
music and a facility. You know, show them where the restrooms are. Help them get their children uh, uh, into the children's program. Don't make them kind of guess and all of that. Make it easy on people. Help mothers get prams out. Don't wait if, oh, but I'm not on the team. You're on the team. If you're in the church, you're on the team. So just do, do it because you're a Christian. So think serve before self. Number, uh, number three, I only got four of these. Uh, lead yourself and your family well. Another great book that I read called Turn the Ship Around, written by a, a, a captain of a uh, nuclear attack submarine. And he says this, this is like life-changing, game-changing revelation that everybody's a leader. There's not leaders and followers. Everybody can lead themselves. Everybody has an area that they can lead in as well. So why not find that area, lead yourself well, lead your family well, and lead whatever area that you're serving in, lead that area really well. Take the initiative in that area. Bring it up to a standard of excellence. Let, let God shine through you in that area. Don't, don't just say, oh, I'm just a follower. I'll just wait to get asked. No, take that initiative as a leader and lead yourself. And then number four, and then we're finished. Number four, Get offended, but don't stay offended. Now, I've kind of bombed that target, so I'm not going to go back and bomb it anymore. But uh, you're going to get offended. Just don't stay offended. Get over it. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Forgive or you're not forgiven. That's a pretty big one, isn't it? Uh, so I don't, have a, uh, I don't have the option not to forgive. I don't have the option to stay offended. Jesus doesn't, he, there's no kind of like mincing words there. There's no big gray area. It's pretty black and white. It's really straightforward. You've got to forgive. You're forgiven. I forgave you of everything. You know, they plucked his beard out, beat him to a pulp. All, all of our sin was piled on him. And, and he, in his last words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And now we're going to hold a grudge against somebody that said something or had an attitude. That just doesn't add up. So to whom much is given, much is required. I know what I was given. I know what I was forgiven of. Therefore, I've got this huge obligation. He forgave me of the billion, trillion dollar debt. I think at least I could forgive somebody of the five dollar debt. What about you? Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.